be found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. Let's turn there for our reading this morning. Our practice is to use the ESV version. I'll be reading from there. You can follow along with me. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. 
And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. You may wonder why I chose this passage. You'll hear in our message this morning as we continue the thought from last week. Last week we looked at a crisis in character. We'll look more about character day, today and where it comes from. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Uh, if you remain standing with me, we pray, and then our choir will come with a song and then the preaching of God's word this morning. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for the uh, healing that you did through, through the week with many who were just uh, sick or just had trouble uh, in, in areas with their health. Many of those are here with us today, and so we're thankful for that. We ask that you just continue to bless this service, um, that your glory might be the pursuit of our praise in this service and our worship today. May you be glorified. We pray that you'll continue to minister to our families who are grieving the loss of loved ones, Lord, for each one that you would just be with and show your presence and your comfort to them as uh, you are the God of comfort. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, for your word as it goes out today and as it goes out through each of our lives that we might be faithful in our testimony. You might use your word to encourage, to instruct, to, uh, to challenge, to, and to rebuke, and to prepare us to live wholeheartedly for you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. God. It 
was God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. I made it this far by the grace of God. Lord, I thank you for how you brought me, how you brought me through the night. And Lord, you kept me and you never left me. You stood by my side, Lord God. There were so many times when I came so close. Oh man, death, he tried to take me in. So the reason I'm here, it's not hard for me to see. In fact, it's so easy for me to explain. It was God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. I made it this far. By the grace of God. It was God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. His amazing grace. I made it this far by the grace of God. I remember the times when I strayed away, even though I knew the word, still I wouldn't obey. But God's mercy and His grace stayed with me and brought me brought me all the way it was God's grace God's grace God's grace his amazing grace I made it this far by the grace of God God's grace God's grace God's grace, His amazing grace, I made it this far, by the grace of God. Anybody want to know just how I got here? Anybody need to know why I'm still standing? I made it this far. By the grace of God, God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, His amazing grace, I made it this far.
Last week we looked at this passage in 1 Samuel, a couple passages in 1 Samuel. We saw the contrast between Saul and David, a contrast between their character. And one thing that came out is that when we're in a crisis, it reveals our character. We often think that, uh, you know, we, we misbehave when, when bad things happen to us and, uh, you know, uh, hard times. But really, the, the hard times and the crises in our life uh, show us what we're really made of. And so it is with Saul and with David. We saw both of them under extreme stress. Saul uh, was... Uh, the king of a nation that was being threatened by war by another nation. They didn't know what to do. David had come back to his hometown where his family and all the family of his men were only to see from a distance smoke, fire. Their whole town had been burned and he got there and nothing was left. All the people were gone and uh, he was under distress. And we see them both Call on the Lord. In Saul's instance, the Lord didn't answer him. But, you know, it's not a surprise. The Lord is like, why are you calling on me now? You never listened to me before. I've been instructing you, but you've ignored me all of your life, and now you want me to save you and to deliver you. Some people act like that. You know, I'm not going to live for the Lord. I'm not going to follow him. But when I get to that point in my life where I think I really need him and I'm desperate, I'm going to reach out then. And God says, surprise, surprise, I won't be there. And David, on the contrast, he just, it's like, it's his default. He falls back on the Lord because that's the way he has lived. He's lived his life running from Saul and counting and trusting the Lord to deliver him. Now he had some lapses where he thought he, he could use his better judgment and do what he wanted and, and God even was there for him during that time. When he called on the Lord, God answered. And God instructed him, and he recovered all that was lost. And so we see the crisis there, and we, we, we see the character or lack of character that comes out in the crisis. What about your life? God gives you tests sometimes to show you where you are. And, it's, and, you know, it can be discouraging, but note where you are and go to God for what you need. He shows you you're not yet there. <laughs> You're not where you, you, you need to be or even perhaps where you ought to be, but he wants to show you how you can get there. Now, today I want to look at the, the, the question to me is, where does character come from? How, what if I, if I fail the test? How do I see, if I see that I don't have what I should have, let me learn of, of where it comes from so I can see what it takes to, to build that character. And so I've called this text today or this message today the creation of character, the creation of character. Last week we saw the crises in uh, character and conflict, or the conflict of character, and now we see the creation of character. Um, how is character developed? What is the key element? I want us to look at First um, Samuel chapter 10. Now we read chapter 16 earlier. I want to take us back to, to chapter 10. 
And again, I want to contrast Saul and David for us so we can see and, and get a message for those from their lives. Because God wrote his word to instruct us and to give us some things that, that act as a guidepost. Or like would do, if you would, like lanes on the highway. Okay? The, the, the white lines are there to keep you on the right side. We have cards with the technology now that says if you veer over, you know, the yellow line is in the middle. If you veer over, get too close to that yellow line, it's, it's going to correct you. It's going to say, hey, that ain't where my tires belong. I want to be on the safe side over here. And so it'll, it'll correct you back over. And I don't have one of those cards, so I don't know if you do or not. Uh, but we need those kind of things in our life that tells us when we've gone into danger and something has to kick in and say, wait, whoa, don't keep going that route. And, and so um, we, we, God's word uh, does that for us, and one of the things he does is he tests us to show us that we're not where we ought to be. Other thing he does is gives examples in real life situations, and here's the example of Saul and David. There's a key component in their life that is contrasted, but unless you look deeply in it, you won't always get what it is. We can see what's on the outside. You notice we read that passage where um, God had a, was appointing David as king, and uh, Saul looked out. God, God had told, um, excuse me, Samuel. God had told Samuel that I'm going to choose one of Jesse's sons. That was David's dad. I'm going to choose one of his sons. And so Samuel looked at Jesse's sons, and he saw the oldest, and he looked apart. He just looked like a leader should look. Or so Saul thought, so, excuse me, so Samuel thought. And so Samuel's thinking in his heart, God said, one of these boys is going to be king. This must be the one. And then that great passage that uh, where, where, where God says to Samuel, no, he's not the one. I have not chosen him. He looks good to you. That's because you look on the outside, but I don't just, I'm not impressed by the outside appearance. I look at the heart. And so what we see in David's life and what we see in Saul's life is we see the outward and we need a little insight to dig into the heart or what goes inwardly that, that really creates their character. What is it that is the essential difference between Saul and David that comes out in their character? We see it in their character. We saw the crisis that they went to, and here Saul is asking for a witch and a sorcerer. To, to, to give him answers in life. David goes to the Lord, and he gets an answer. We see that, that, we see that contrast, that difference. I want to look and if we can see what's really going on in 
inwardly. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and read a few verses there. Then Saul, excuse me, then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? Now, this is Samuel, the prophet. He's anointing Saul as king. God had told him, here's the man I've chosen and I want you to anoint him as king. So let's look at this process. It has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel. You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Let me just back up. The, the context here in the ch previous chapter is that um, God had told Samuel that, yeah, Israel desires a king. They have sinned in desiring that king, but I'm going to give them a king. And I want you to go out and find this person that I'm going to send to you, and I want you to anoint him king. And God was talking about Saul. And so some things started happening in Saul's life that seemed strange. For one, uh, he was, his uncle's uh, uh, sheep had gotten lost, and his uncle sent him out to go find them. And so uh, while he was going to find these sheep, that's when he encountered Samuel. And he came there. He didn't know what was going on, but Samuel, God had told Samuel, hey, that's the guy. Now go and, and anoint him. Now Saul didn't really understand all that was going on. But we, we see um, Samuel now is anointing him. And he's telling him that you're going to be king. And this is what's going to happen to you. So you know that God has appointed this and this is of God. So you have to, he has to reassure Saul that, right? So he says, when you leave, this is what's going to happen. And he goes into talking about uh, what's going to happen. He says, you... Uh, Go back to your, to your uncle because uh, he's, he's worried about you and not worried about the, the, the sheep anymore, or the donkeys as it is. Uh, all right, verse, where are we? Verse 3. Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and, you, and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. This is Saul, right? And all these signs came to pass that day. 
When, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. All right. So all the things started to happen. God had, uh, had anointed him as king, and he had told him through Samuel what was going to happen and, and kind of look, uh, look out for this and know that this was a sign that this was truly of God. Notice what happened. Um, God had his spirit come over Saul, right? And you notice how it, it's expressed in verse 6. Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. You will prophesy with them may be turned into another man, right? Let me give you a key. The, the difference between Saul and Samuel, excuse me, between Saul and David is the spirit of God. Is the spirit of God. But if you look at Saul and David, you can be confused and say, hey, well, they both had the Spirit of God. What's the difference there? They had the Spirit of God in some way. God empowers Saul for service. But we know Saul's life and we know how he lived and something seems strange there, doesn't it? Because there's a difference between his action, his behavior, and David's behavior. So what's the difference? Well, you look in chapter 13, we see Saul's life is marked by disobedience. Chapter 13, verse 8, Saul's supposed to wait. For Samuel, it says he waited seven days in the time appointed by he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. The people were scattering from him. So Saul, so Saul said, Bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered uh, at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel's, here's the key, listen to this. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The word of God tells us the distinction that God, instead of Saul, sought a man instead of Saul who was after his own heart. And somehow Saul was not that man or not that type of man. When you see the Holy Spirit's work in Saul's life, what comes to mind? God empowers for service. He empowered Saul to be king or to empower him to serve 
as king for his people. But don't be confused. Empowerment doesn't necessarily mean ownership. Let me say it this way. God sovereignly empowered Saul to accomplish his purpose. God empowered David as well. But there's a difference between the two. God is sovereign, and he will use those who don't belong to him for his purpose because he's sovereign. We see that many times in Scripture. God will use a, a king from another nation that doesn't serve him and a king that does not acknowledge him, and he'll use it for his purpose because God is sovereign. That's what sovereign means, that God is in control and over everything, and he can do as he pleases. Keep in mind, God empowers today for service. God empowers your boss at work. He may not or she may not be saved, may not love the Lord, but God may bless that business for your sake and for his own purpose. We often wonder, why do certain people have so much resources and I have so little? <laughs> why are they rich and I'm not? Isn't that a blessing from the Lord? Yeah, in many ways. In other words, God distributes as he pleases. God gives, God empowers because he's sovereign in everything and he does it to accomplish his purpose, but it doesn't necessarily mean ownership. People make the, make the, the, the mistake of thinking because I am blessed of God in a physical way that I must be in line with him, I must be in tune, and I must have a relationship with him. Not necessarily. Give you an example. God empowered a donkey to talk. Jesus said he could empower rocks to cry out if people didn't act right. <laughs> God is sovereign over all of his creation. He can use anything and any person he desires, and he does for his glory. He empowered Saul to be king. But then we read the passage where Holy Spirit left him. The Spirit of God left him. The difference with David is the Holy Spirit in him and continuing to be in him, which is the difference between us today who know God. Let's, let's take a look. I think the, uh, the New Testament helps us understand what we're looking at really is the Holy Spirit's work. Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, is, 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 is God's person. And how is he working today? Just because God empowers something doesn't mean that that person belongs to him. We have celebrity and musicians and people in the arts today who are incredibly talented. They even recognize some of them that their talent comes from God. Doesn't mean they belong to God. And we can tell clearly from their character that they don't. What's wrong there? Saul is an example of that. 
go to the New Testament and get some specific instruction. Go to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians, Paul is dealing with the purpose of the law and whether or not the law empowers us. He's talking to a people who have, who have a struggle between obeying the law, the, the Old Testament, some of the, the rituals that were set forth for God's people in the Old Testament and saying, hey, do we still have to do that to be God's people today and, and to be believers today? Or in other words, is God, God's people, uh, is, is it narrowly defined by those who are born in a certain uh, a heritage and belong to a certain people group and, 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 and follow their guidelines and rules? Is that what makes up God's people? Of course, in the New Testament, we find out that that's not the case at all. That God's people are those whose hearts have been, uh, who, who have been given life from the Spirit of God and now who have a, a, a love for God and they live for God. And that's shown in their, first of all, their trust of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so while Paul is instructing in this way in Galatians 5, he has to deal with the difference, and that is the Holy Spirit and how he works in the life of his people. I think it's much the same in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit worked in David's life in a unique way that he did not work in Saul's life. So in verse 16 of Galatians, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I wonder what he means there, because it kind of works in both ways. It's the flesh that keeps you from doing the things of God that you would want to do with the new desires you have from the new creation. And it's the Holy Spirit who keeps you from fulfilling the things of the flesh that you have from your old nature. They're fighting and they're opposed to each other. And he gives a command saying, walk by the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a command. Do this. It's like the command Jesus gives in John chapter 3 when he says, you must be born again. It's like that in this sense, is that he commands what is absolutely essential and that what, what only he can provide. Jesus is telling dead individuals like Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's the same that he did in John chapter 11 when he walked to a grave of a dead man named Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. People must have thought he was crazy. How are you commanding the dead to have life? 
He does that, and just as he does that, because he is the provider of life. Now he commands those who are trusting in him to walk by the Spirit. You are alive or made alive by the Spirit, and now you're commanded to live in obedience to the Spirit. And you can't do that if you don't have the Spirit. So he gives you the Spirit, and he gives you the command to walk by the Spirit. And he tells you how it operates. There's a conflict of nat- within your nature. He says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He said, it's a long list. It's a wide thing that they cover, but it ain't wide enough. It's more than just that. He says, these things are what the flesh, the old nature in us, and all of us have an old nature. The problem is all of us don't have a new nature. We all have an old nature, but those who are in Christ have the spirit and thus have a new nature as well. He says, but this old nature produces these types of things. I can't help but to think of Saul when I see some of those things listed because it's just glaring in his life. Jealousy, fits of rage and anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy. And he says, things like these, and he gives this important warning. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He makes a clear distinction. Those who live in this type of of behavior will not be part of God's kingdom. Therefore, they are not part of God's people. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Law can't produce those types of things. Only the Holy Spirit can produce those types of things. So the question is, where does this character come? It comes from the Spirit. It is is the, the fruit or the extent of what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of the believer. And what he says in this passage, if the Holy Spirit is not producing these things and instead you show the works of the flesh, you will not be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, too many people read that in error. They live in error. They think that they themselves can produce those good things and make themselves a part of the kingdom of God. They miss the key component. It's the Holy Spirit that produces that. Think back in Saul's life. You had moments, if you could take a, a picture of moments in his life, you see the good side of him. He was a great leader. God had chosen him to be leader over Israel. There were some good things about him. When people saw him, they saw a good leader, probably saw a good man. 
Even when, when, uh, when he was confronted by David, we will see him back down and we will see him apologize for his wrong behavior. We, we see all those things. And at that moment, you think, hey, he's a pretty nice dude. But deep down in his heart, it's, it's like this. It's as if Saul, as much as he wanted to, he, he could not have a track record of obedience to God. It's like at everything, every moment, when it, when it was time for him to choose whether or not in, in a crisis, whether he was going to obey God, it's like his nature would just take over and, and he would walk in disobedience. Now, don't confuse, your, confuse yourself to think that that gives you an excuse. I don't know what happened, God. I just was disobedient. God says, yeah, I know. And I reject you for your behavior as he rejected Saul. I'm disappointed, he says in Saul, because I wanted you to act in a certain way, and you didn't. I reject that. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is the one that produces this character in us, you know, in some ways you want to say to a person, stop trying and try God. Stop trying to produce this in and of yourself and let God do what only he can do. But in another way you want to say, you know you have the Spirit when you are empowered in your trying. He's the one that empowers you, gives you the desire to do what he wants you to do. And so it's the trying that the Holy Spirit is, 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 is using. In other words, there is nobody who's of God who stops trying who stops wanting to and desiring and, and striving to please God in their character. But it's not by their striving, their power that they accomplish this. I think that, that's, that's the thing that's so confusing to people. People want to come, I, I, I see this in, in the long time I've been a pastor is, is people, they don't say these words, but in their action they're saying, well, pastor, am I there yet? A am I Okay. I'm trying my hardest. And really what you see is the ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. And, and you see, they're not there. They have no knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with God. They're trying to muster it themselves. They try to come to church. They try to answer the questions so they have some biblical understanding of something. But in everything they do, they show themselves to be lacking. And you want to say, I want to say to them, just stop trying and be. But then there's other side that says, look, no believer stops pursuing after God. It's the Holy Spirit in them that brings that powerful pursuit. But we forget that it's not us in the sense of it's not our drive. It's the Holy Spirit in us. But then in, in the same way, it is us, isn't it? It, it? There is a responsibility. There is a part that we have to do in such a way that, that Paul says, hey, if, if you're acting like that, 
you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. So people ask me, well, what would you recommend to people? I would recommend, you know, if, if, if you've been trying and you ain't got there, what should you do? <laughs> I would be desperate. <laughs> I would utterly fall on my face before God and cry out to him, God, I can't do it. But I desperately want it. I need you. Help me. I'm desperate, Lord. I, I can't act like those folks say I should act. I, I keep messing up. Lord, I need your help. Th this is how it says in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Can we turn there a second? If you were in Galatians 5, just a couple pages forward, you see Ephesians chapter 2. It says, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Then he goes on to a several phrases that just describe that. But the first point is you were dead. Each of us, before, before God gave us life, we were dead. If you follow through all those phrases and you get to, 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 to verse 5 where he finally finishes the sentence, you were dead, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespass, he, he, he made so many uh, uh, phrases in between. You got to come back to the original phrase. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. God, he says, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive. Nobody can ever say, I gave myself life. I was dead and then I thought about it. And I decided I didn't want to stay dead, so I decided I would manufacture life within myself. We know how ridiculous that sounds, but it's, it's, the principle is true physically and it is true spiritually. You do not give yourself life, God does. And only God can. Only he can produce what it is he produces through the Holy Spirit. Go back to Galatians 6 and we finish that. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. He says there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. And those who belong to Jesus have announced the death of their flesh. Okay? They basically are saying this, look, I ain't listening to that no more. I'm not following that anymore. You still speaking in my ear, but I'm dead to you. I'm not going that way anymore. We've crucified the desires of the flesh. We are acting as though they mean nothing to us. We're living like they are dead. Now that just doesn't happen naturally. It's the work that God does when he brings us to life. He gives us a nature to fight against those old desires. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But then he says also in this passage, 
Go back to verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit. So he's saying, it's the Spirit that gives us life, and then there's a part of us that we must desire to live this way. We must show this desire in the choices that we make and in the things that we do and how we live and all that we do. And you show yourself to have the Spirit. So when somebody ain't doing that, I can say, hey, don't look like you got the Spirit. Pastor, I don't want to do that. Well, wow, you don't? Is that your desire? That doesn't sound like a Spirit-driven desire to me. And if that begins to to, to show the pattern of your life, watch out. That's not a good sign. That's a sign of those who will have no part in the kingdom of God. He commands us to walk according to the Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit and he says, now live in that. I've equipped you to do it, so it's not something you have to do all by yourself. I've given the Holy Spirit to you. Now, listen to him. Walk in him and obey him. Let's look at another passage. Romans chapter 8. I'm going through these because it would do well, you would do well to look at them and to meditate on them and and take them, you know, uh, uh, through your devotion in the week. Maybe you're writing a note down and you're writing Galatians 5, 16 through 24. Maybe you're writing uh, Romans 8, 1 through 13. And, and, and you just take little bites out of that each day and, and digest and see what the Holy Spirit is, is saying. So let's read Romans 8. Romans 8 is where it's, it's like it's hard to stop because... He goes on and he builds on what he's saying. But I want to read, you know, 13, 14 verses, but we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to have time to bite on all of that. But I just want to get it in, in your hearing today. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It starts off with a very powerful message. We aren't under God's judgment. Those in Christ are no longer under God's judgment. So we're not doing what we're doing because we're afraid of or out of fear. We're doing what we do. We live the way we live. Listen, I go to church because I love God. I have a new desire to obey him, not because I'm fearing what somebody else is going to say. Now, people take that the wrong attitude. They say, that's why I stopped coming, because I don't fear anymore. Wow. Wow. He says, we are not condemned, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He's going to say what, what, what he does is God is doing something that no law can do. In, in our nation today, we're going through a crisis. You know, we want people to act a certain way, and so we think that we can make a law and it forces them to act that way. Well, they might act in accordance with the law, but it doesn't change the heart. And now we're going after people with wrong hearts. You don't think right, and so we're going to call that a law, a, a, a hate crime. Oh, you're racist, and so we see that in you, and, and we're going to make a law against that. Well, let me know if that ever works. By the way, I know it's not going to work. 
because of what goes on here. You can't change the heart externally. Only the Holy Spirit can change the heart. And he goes to express that. Notice how the Holy Spirit comes in here. Just, just watch the, the wording as it goes. Um, verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He's saying nothing wrong with the law. It's the flesh that is sinful, that doesn't listen to this. And so the law doesn't change that nature of sinful mind to war against God. It could not do. By sending his own son, this is how God solved the problem. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I know that's a whole lot, but I'm going to keep going. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, from, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, or if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's the Holy Spirit in the believer that builds that behavior and thus that character that we see. And so if we're looking at Saul and David, we can easily look on the exterior and miss what's happening that we cannot see inside. And it's that God has chosen David. He has given David his spirit in a unique and a special way, and it shows in all of his character. God chose Saul to be king. Saul failed in that. God pulled his spirit out of Saul for the operation of being king, and Saul's character showed it. He's devoid of the spirit, and he acts that way in all that he does, and thus he is rejected by God. We see the character difference. It is the spirit of God that makes the difference. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. Let me ask the question first of all do you have the Spirit? Has He given you life from above? Has He given you life, spiritual life? 
You get the Holy Spirit when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God says that it's so emphatically that if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. If you are His, you have the Holy Spirit. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to tarry. You didn't have to work. You didn't have to scream. You didn't have to jump up and down. You had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, having given, having been, you are a receiver of the Holy Spirit, are you living according to him? See, that's, you know, you heard the term, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> how can you tell whether a person has the Spirit or not? You can see how they, they live. You can see their character. Because he makes it a truth that, look, those who belong to God have the Spirit and the Spirit leads and, 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 and impacts and influences their life. Now, there is a role that you play in that, and that's the part that I'm pushing right now, is are you listening to the Holy Spirit in your life? In other words, are you where you need to be? You have the Spirit in you, and are you listening, and is he developing you in the pattern that he wants? Or is there some lacking there? All of us should be able to say that we have the Holy Spirit. All of us would also be able to say that he's working in my life and building me the way that he wants me to be. So I'm more and more, and I'm becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the pattern in believers. Now, I'm not talking about what level and how fast you're rising in that and, and uh, where you are compared to somebody else. But if you are a child of God, you are developing and God has put all the things in your life for you to grow and develop. And he commands you to walk by the Spirit. So let me just ask you a few questions uh, as, as we come to a close today. Have you been given life by the Holy Spirit? Are you living spiritually by the power of God? Are you alive spiritually by the power of God? Do you know him? Do you love him? Has he changed your desires, your passions, your drive? Has it impacted your commitment? Let me, ask, let me ask you this. Are you being led by the Spirit? Do you listen to him? Do you obey him? Do you even know how to listen to him? Do you obey him? Do you trust him? Do you rely on him? When I say rely on him, it, it, it's like when you get in a crisis, you know, what's your go-to? What's your default? I need this, so I know this person over here, I can go to that and get. Or, or do you come to God and say, God, I need this, and you can give it to me whatever way you want, but it comes from you, and I ask you for it. Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him? When I say do you listen to him, you can't say you're listening to him if you're not really taking in his word. Right now you're taking in his word. That's good. I can't tell what's going on in your mind. Your mind might be thinking, Packers game, lunch, 
what I got to do this afternoon. I hope he hurry up and shut up. <laughs> or your might, mind might be thinking, take a note of this. Read more. Take in. What is God saying here? What does he mean for me? How does this impact my life? What is it, what is it that I need to be doing? Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him? Do you rejoice with him? Do you rejoice in the thing that God rejoices in? Do you grieve in the things and sorrow in the things that God grieves in? Are you healthy spiritually? Do your actions show the Holy Spirit's influence? Do your thoughts, emotions, temperament, and attitude reflect the Holy Spirit's influence? Or are they devoid of his impact and influence? Does he control and influence your desires and your passions? We can pray this way. God, be the Lord of my life. Be in charge. I submit to you. I will listen to you and seek your advice. I will read your word. I will listen and seek out those you placed in my life for your truth. Father, I need you and I willingly submit to your command. Jesus, I have nothing without you. I will love you, I will obey you, I will follow you. Holy Spirit, I desperately need you. Father, we pray that that might be the sentiment of our hearts today, that we might not be trying to build character or behavior apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our life, and we may not fight what the Holy Spirit is doing, So we pray this prayer to you. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know how they can be born again, may they know that they can't do it themselves by their own power, but it's something that only you do. But they can recognize you're calling them right now by the burden that you place on their heart to listen, to want desperately what you offer. They ask for it, Lord, you'll give it to them. We thank you for that. You've done that in each of us. It's a miraculous process. We can't understand. It's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing. Just like when we see a child come into this world and birth, we are amazed. The doctor didn't do it. The mother didn't do it. You bring life. We pray that you would bring life to all who ask in Jesus' name for that life that you give based on his death and his resurrection. We pray that all who desire your Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and in their lives, who desire to live by the Spirit, that you will instruct them and you will lead them by your Spirit. You would answer that prayer. 
We pray that for ourselves as well, Lord. Help me, keep me, guide me, instruct me in your way and in your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.